Welcome. I'm glad you're here. Together, we will turn our shared concern about the state of our environment into a force for change. It will require you to reimagine the role of your home kitchen as more than a warehouse of food or a room where we cook and gather to eat. The time has come to enter your kitchen with eyes open to the transformative power it harnesses for the planet and you. The home kitchen has always been ground zero for positive environmental and social change, waiting for you to take your position as a kitchen activist. Now that you arrived, you will change the world with what you eat. Welcome. I'm so glad you're here. My name is Florencia Ramirez. I'm the author of the book Eat Less Water and a kitchen activist like you. I've been out of town for the last week checking out college campuses with my teenagers, both in New Orleans and in New York. It was a really great trip. But I'm back. I came back last night. And yesterday, while I was waiting in the airport, I was checking out an article that came into my inbox from the New York Times called, America is using up its groundwater like there's no tomorrow. And I realized that that needs to be today's topic is groundwater. Take a look at this article. I will add it to the show notes. It is a really great piece because They have a map of the United States and really shows visually what has happened to water over the last 80 years. And it's quite extraordinary to see it visually. And this is something that I've been writing about and thinking about since I began my journey to figure out how can I use less water, eat less water, knowing that one, by 2030, half the world population will experience water scarcity. And today, over a billion people don't have enough water. And so that was the two things that really propelled me to look for an answer of how can I, as one individual, one person, how can I make a difference on water systems around the world? Because I reject that as a future for myself and for my kids and for my grandkids who've yet to be born. When I learned about this idea of virtual water footprint, and I have past podcast episodes where I talk specifically about what is that, but just quickly, virtual water footprint is how much water it takes to make a particular food or drink through the whole process. This, of course, is an average. So a slice of bread, it's 11 gallons of water. A pound of beef, it's 1,800 gallons of water. You can see the difference based on how high something is on the food chain. There are exceptions to this, like, for example, chocolate. A pound of chocolate is 7,727 gallons of water. But where is that water coming from? That's a piece that's really important. And in in my book, I talk about the difference between what's called blue water and green water. And in this article, 
This is the first of a four-part series that the New York Times is undertaking to talk specifically about groundwater levels that have dropped extraordinarily in the last 80 years. And remember, groundwater took millions, millions of years to fill. And we are within really one generation, within less than a hundred years, we have drawn that water almost dry, dry in some areas and very near dry in others. When you look at this map and it shows, for example, what it was in 1920, and you'll see all of this blue throughout the United States specifically. They looked at the United States, but this is not a, a U.S. story. This is something that is happening across the world of dropping groundwater levels. In this last year, it has been the worst yet. And there's all of this red area now. So it turned from blue in 1920, and now we have all of these red dots throughout the country. And I happen to live in one of these red dotted areas in Oxnard. I want to go back to this idea of green versus blue water. Because it's critical for us to understand, and I hope in these future articles they talk about that, because the designation given to the source of water is really critical for us as consumers and as policymakers that there is a difference in where the water comes from and how that impacts our planet. So when we're extracting or pumping water, like slurping it up in big straws, essentially 24 hours a day in some areas, especially like where I live or um, in a lot of other dry areas and more areas are becoming dry, areas that used to just have rain-fed agriculture, that means they had no irrigation, are coming online of requiring irrigation, at least for some parts of the year, because everything is getting drier. There's longer periods of time without rain. And then when it does come and fall fast and furious, as we're seeing, much of that is lost to evaporation. And rivers that have been paved over with concrete to move water fast, but by having that water move so fast, it's no longer bleeding into the ground and feeding these groundwater tables, these ancient lakes that are out of view, but so critical for us and for everything that's living on this planet. That marriage, that beautiful symbiotic relationship between the river and the groundwater table has disappeared because of this concrete barrier that we have on so many of our rivers in the United States and around the world. So that's another piece that I hope that's talked about in this four-piece New York Times series because they have such a huge audience. When we talk about green water, green water is water that falls from the sky. It's not diverted. It's rain. It's snowmelt. The blue water is water in the ground, in our rivers and reservoirs. The water that we're using too quickly is blue water. For example, one of the very first farms that I went to visit was a wheat farmer in Paso Robles, California, who really brought that 
idea of growing food without using as much blue water to grow wheat. The average American eats 19 pounds of pasta each year. The equivalent of that is 4,370 gallons of virtual fresh water. Now, is it blue water or is it green water that you're bringing onto your plate? Because if it's blue water, it means that it's water drawn from the ground, for example, faster than it's being replenished because we're using groundwater as though it is a renewable resource. It is not a renewable resource. It is a finite resource that took millions of years, remember, to embed itself in these ancient lakes. So even when we have all of this rain coming down, it is not as simple as just recharging this groundwater. It's not happening. On this particular farm in Paso Robles, where all the farms around are growing almonds, growing grapes, some grain, but mostly grapes and almonds are coming out from this particular region in California, are using groundwater supplies, blue water, pumping those the groundwater tables until they're dry. And then what happens is that then they have to drill deeper. So many of these farms are pumping water 10,000 feet deep. And farmers or even communities, especially poor communities, who don't have thousands and thousands of dollars to spend to hire somebody to keep digging to slurp water at, at deeper levels, just don't have water. So this particular farm that I went to was dry farming grains. And he could dry farm because of his soil health. And this is a critical piece. We cannot talk about dropping groundwater levels without speaking specifically about soil health and how our food is grown. Because conventional food is not thinking about soil health. Fossil fuels, whether it comes in the form of chemical pesticides and fumigants or petroleum-based fertilizers or farm equipment that's utilizing fossil fuels, all of those things that are very much part of conventional agriculture are not thinking about soil health. And so why do you care? Why should we care about soil health? Because when farmers build soil, like this particular farm in Paso Robles and all the farms that I talked about or wrote about in my book, Eat Less Water, all of them cared about building soil health because it not only produced more delicious and nutritious foods, but the land required less water. Not that their plants needed less water, but they didn't need to apply the water because the soil was storing water for them. Soil alive with organic matter can hold up to 10,000 times more water than soil that has been treated with fossil fuels. That is tremendous, 10,000 times more. 
which means that then the farmer doesn't have to apply as much water. That a farmer can dry farm food or dry farm most of the year. And not only is the soil more moist underneath that top layer, but the soil is drawing it water down, down, down so that it can replenish those aquifers, that dropping groundwater table. When I was in Brooklyn walking along the streets and seeing the different corner markets with all the fruit There was so much of that fruit coming from California and specifically from Oxnard, where I live. So this is something that doesn't just impact one region. The loss of groundwater impacts all of us because so much of food is exported around the world. The strawberries that are grown here in Oxnard are exported to New York City, right, or to Japan. This morning when I went outside, I could smell that they're harvesting onions. I could smell it in the air. Those onions are exported nationwide and worldwide. And with it, our groundwater that is dropping every year. It is dropping about enough water to fill 150,000 Olympic-sized pools. And that's in non-drought years. And The deficit increases more during dry years. So what are the things that we can do? What can we do as kitchen activists to partner with solutions, to stop contributing to dropping groundwater tables close to home and around the world? The action steps are eat organic food. It's simple. Eat more organic food. Food that's grown without fossil fuels. Food that builds soil so the plants grown on that farm require less water, less blue water, less groundwater to grow that food. The second thing would be to eat small organic because there is a difference. In Brooklyn, I bought a container of strawberries grown here in Oxnard and in Watsonville, California. And they have organic and mostly conventionally grown strawberries using fossil fuels. Fumigants impact soil health and the people who work on that soil. When you're supporting small-scale regenerative farmers, they don't have one hand in conventional agriculture and one hand in organic agriculture. They're all in They are passionate about these topics. They're passionate about being water managers and growing delicious and more nutritious foods for their communities without destroying the environment along the way. The third would be to eat lower on the food chain when there are no organic choices. The the thing is, it's difficult to just eat organic food all the time. Remember, only 1% of all agriculture in the United States is organic. 1% of all cropland, or actually less than 1% of all cropland in the U.S. is organic. So to find organic food served in restaurants is can be difficult. So when we're eating out or don't have the choice to buy organic, then what do you do? Well, what I do is I eat lower on the food chain when there are no organic choices. 
So if I'm going to a restaurant and I know that everything on that menu has been grown with fossil fuels and is drawing down water, well, then I'm going to pass on the steak. I'm going to pass on the on the items that are higher on the food chain and instead eat more plants because a pound of lettuce is 10 gallons of water, a pound of tomatoes is 13 gallons of water versus something very cheesy if I order off the menu. A pound of cheese is 414 gallons of water and a pound of butter is 3,602 gallons of water. And then, of course, meat is high on, on the food chain, chicken being the lowest because it's a smaller animal and its lifespan is shorter, versus a cow that takes about a year for that cow to be harvested. Overall, we've got to eat more plants, regardless of whether or not it's organic or not organic. We need to eat more plants. And our bodies need more plants. So the three things, again, to summarize of how to stop food from draining our groundwater with what we eat is one, eat organic. Two, eat small organic. So those small regenerative farms. Three, eat lower on the food chain when there are no organic choices and just overall eating lower on the food chain. These small things that you and I do on a daily basis add up. They add up. We are empowered. We can be kitchen activists. Thank you for letting me talk about groundwater. I hope it did have some openings for you to make the connections, to connect the dots between what's happening with our lower groundwater tables and what that means at our kitchen table. So thank you again. And I will be here again next Wednesday. Please leave me a a review if you've not done so already. I would love it. I just turned 50 and my wish is to get 50 new reviews. So thank you so much. Be well. Let's stay connected. Sign up for my newsletter and receive more tips in your inbox weekly and 15% off your first purchase at the Eat Less Water Shop. You can also find me on your favorite social media space at Eat Less Water. Please remember to hit subscribe and leave a review, even if it's only the star rating because every one of them will increase the chances of other like-minded folks to find us. Thank you for joining me on this journey to eat less water. Together, we will write the story of well-being for this planet we have the privilege to call home. Meet you back here every Wednesday. There is power in the collective.